Welcome to Weekend at Crumbies. Today, in episode 4, we'll be looking at Runaway Train. Good evening, everybody, or morning, or afternoon, whenever you're listening to this podcast. I realise that you can't listen to this live, um, or you could, but you would have to be invited to what is currently my boudoir, which is where I'm recording this session with, um, and my name is James Evans, of course, Esquire, with my um, esteemed podcasteer, Mr. Hugh Morgan. Good evening. My name is Hugh. I am at war with the world and everybody in it. <laughs> and it, for that reason, he has been exiled to Wales. Um, we should perhaps so, explain what, what we do at Weekend at Crumbies. Yeah. We look at yes. we look at old oh. films and raise them up to the light once again, giving them uh, a second appraisal that they may have been overlooked before. I think. And episode four is Runaway Train, and Runaway Train is my choice for uh, this particular episode. Uh, Runaway Train. What what on earth is Runaway Train about? Uh, it stars John Voight, Eric Roberts, and Rebecca De Mornay. So we'll start at the beginning. So. Picture the scene, deepest, coldest, darkest Alaska, the Stonehaven Maximum Security Prison, which houses one of America's most notorious criminals, Oscar Manny Mannheim, played by John Voight, who has been locked up in solitary confinement for three years because he is described by the psychopathic warden of Stonehaven, as an animal. The warden is called Rankin, and he is a psychopath. But he has been ordered by those pesky human rights lawyers uh, in Washington to allow Mannheim, or Manny as I'm going to call him from now on, to be released from solitary confinement because it's against human rights. He's in solitary confinement effectively because he has staged a number of escapes previously, which have been unsuccessful. So Rankin has just said, you know what, locking him up, he's, he's, in, he's in there from now on. And, and he's, they, been, and he's been welded up. in his cell as well. It's not just locked up, yeah. he's been welded in there. Um, the yeah, warden not, is exa- exactly as you'd expect a 1980s figure of authority to be. He has a, he has a moustache, he has a kind of a fairly cheap suit, um, and yeah. he has an unpleasant demeanour. Um, yeah. uh, he's vicious as well, isn't he? I he mean, is vicious, yeah. He's a kind of aggressive, um, almost sadomasochistic psychopath. It's a simple character, but it's it's very effective in 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 the kind of approach. So we we, we get this this scene of kind of prison life, as it were, uh, at the start of the film. And it's I mean it's fairly straightforward, but it's 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 quite well presented in in the sense that you get a real feel for the chaos and the anarchy that is taking place in in this particular maximum security prison. And the prisoners themselves are on the verge of rioting because they are outrageously happy that Manny, their hero, as it were, has been um, freed or is about to be freed from solitary confinement. But yeah, we should begin with yeah, our, our, our point of view character, both who we see all this, is Eric Roberts. who's the, the Eric very, Roberts, yeah. um, yes, who plays Buck McGee, who, which is just a brilliant name. And, and Eric Roberts, who I, I can't say that I've warmed previously to Eric Roberts' acting style. I, I, I find him slightly irritating, but he, he plays in... Runaway Train, a kind of southern bumpkin who who is a bit bit of an idiot who has been conditioned by prison to be uh, a bit of a dangerous character, I guess, really. And we find out later in the film that he is incarcerated because of statutory rape, which isn't 
you know, which in films like this, where you've got Eric Roberts and John Voight's the two protagonists who you need to warm to, to enable yourself to kind of, you know, feel the characterization of the film. It's not something that you think, oh, okay, well, fair enough. Um, he oh, might because really? I, I thought I thought that was that's almost movie language for a nod and a wink. He's not really that guilty because he said something like she was fifteen yeah. and I was older, um, and that could yeah. be like the systems against him. You know, in real life, they probably should be locked up, but in movie yeah. talk, that's kind of like well, he's this way. This shows that he's not a bad guy. He's not a murderer. He's not a, a you know an arsonist like that. Um, you're supposed to like Buck McGee and warm to him. Well, I think that's probably that's probably the case in the context of the mid eighties. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't think you would get. I think you would much more likely get a a, a character like uh, Buck McGee as um, saying, you know, I oh I'm I, you know, I'm a, a, a violent prisoner is is probably more acceptable than someone who's undergone statutory rape nowadays. But in the mid eighties, this was. Well, you yeah, you it's say fairly, that. It's it, right. uh, well, I I hate to bring up my knowledge of Transformers Four, but in, in Transformers <laughs> Four, uh, one of the lead characters you're meant to I assume like and and get on side with carries around a card in his wallet that that depicts something called the Romeo and Juliet law, which is something along the lines of, if there's only two years difference between um, a boyfriend and girlfriend, it, it's not... Yeah, why, again, um, it says more about... Uh, who's the director of Transformers? Um, Michael Bay. It says more about, it, Michael, it says Bay, more about yeah. Michael Bay, the fact he feels the need to focus on this a lot, rather than a few transforming robots. Um, yeah. but, but again, that, that's a couple of years old, and that was considered... Let's let's put this focus on main character. So I think, regardless of what the real world consequences are, and maybe in a um, you know post Weinstein world, this isn't the same. I think yeah. that kind of thing is saying this guy's not a bad guy. Um, no, you're right. And and actually, the way that Eric Roberts plays the character yeah. as a, a, a southern country bumpkin, yeah. who is is perhaps you know um, he's got stars in his eyes for Manny. He's he's hero worships Manny. Um, yeah, he even does. though it's established, yeah, he... he doesn't know him that well. He, 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 we see him, he's leaping around saying, Manny's going to get free, yippee, Manny's yeah. going to get free. And when he actually meets him, Manny doesn't know him. He's like, who's the kid? Right. Um, yeah, they've never seen each other. And actually, it's because um, what it does quite well is it sets the scene and, and shows the Manny character, had, his reputation precedes him. He's, he's held up amongst other prisoners in a very dangerous prison as the icon of the prisoners. He's, he represents them. He's the kind of alpha prisoner, as it were. He doesn't, he doesn't take anything. He doesn't. He's he's an he isn't an animal per se, but he is a um, a prisoner who is completely anti-establishment, as it were. He's the he's the perfect prisoner for other prisoners. Which is the warden's sense. rationale for being so mean to him. He's saying, you know, if yeah. if Manny gets the better of me, the prison will be out of control. If I squash yeah. Manny, I will crush their morale. Whether that's just his you know, rationale for being a fairly evil warden, or whether he thinks there's some rationale for doing that, that's kind of what the conflict between them, the wider conflict is. This is the, the the soul of the prisoners at stake between these yeah. two characters. Yeah, exactly. Um, so w- what we find is that then Manny is obviously released into the into the prison um, itself, and he, he's 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 met by one of his close friends who they haven't seen obviously for three years. His name's Jonah, and he's a he, he's a, a, an old timer within the prison. There's a boxing match of which Eric Roberts' character Buck is the winner of the the, the boxing match, and, and um, Manny is in the audience with Jonah, and there's you know, a riotous atmosphere. Everyone's extraordinarily happy that Manny's there. There's a, there's a, a violent, sweaty atmosphere going on. And again, it's very, it's very 1980s. It's very raw. It's very on the edge. And it's very well played because you get quite a sense of danger within that particular area. And you know that there are probably prisoners in that scene, in that area, that have got it in for Manny. And this is exactly what happens. One of the prisoners comes and stabs Manny in the hand. It's quite a, quite a brutal scene. And obviously, you know, doesn't kill him. Um, but then there's a complete riot, and this particular prisoner 
rather gruesomely gets his his stomach slit slit open. I mean, it's an 18 film, so there's there's quite a lot of graphic violence in it. But in the context of the prison, it does make sense. I don't think it's particularly I don't think it's particularly unwarranted, but it, it does pack a punch when you see it. Manny then erupts with rage at the warden who's looking over this boxing match from the the rafters of of, of the particular room itself, and he's you know shouting at the warden, "Come on in, come and get me, fight me if you want to fight me, shoot me, shoot me." He's got a gun, and you really sense this kind of tension between Manny and the warden. Rankin, it's a really um, intense. It's a really profound hatred of each other that they have. But the way it's staged, too, the walkway which the warden and his guards are standing on is very, very high, almost higher than it needs yeah. to be. So the warden yeah. is really looking down at Manny, and Manny is really having to crane upwards and scream yeah. at the warden to have the confrontation, which, yeah. again, is brought back later in the film, but I think it's a very good bookending of, of Manny and the warden's relationship. Yeah, it is. He's almost like a human panopticon in that. He has absolute sight, absolute control, absolute power over the prisoners. But Manny doesn't allow him to have that power. He confronts him in that particular circumstance, and that kind of fuels the rage. And it's at this point that we understand that Manny is also considering, as you guessed it, a third escape attempt. Post-boxing match scene um, of Manny's partner Jonah uh, has now been beaten up by the guards for killing his would-be assassin, and basically yeah. says he's too beaten up, he hasn't got it in him to, to run anymore. He also says he's been conditioned to the prison, he doesn't want to go. So Manny decides to run on his own. But his means of escape is the laundry cart which Eric Roberts, Buck McGee, is pushing. So Buck McGee gets Manny out fairly simply. Yeah, Again, the, almost too simply. Yeah, uh, the, 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 guard, the guard is ridiculous. of one of the, uh, the guards. Well, not even bribery, he, he, he distracts the guard with a present and then just and gives him a porn yeah. mag. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah. That's uh, he's basically Manny's out. Then he just gets wheeled out, um, and then literally on the spur of the moment, um, Buck McGee dashes after him and says, "Manny, take me with you." You guess Buck yeah. McGee's been planning this ever since he met Manny because he wants to go with him. Again, the hero worships him, so he just says, "Manny, take me with you." And Manny, yeah. uh, Manny's not particularly happy about yeah. this, but he he kind of doesn't really have a choice in this matter in in, in many ways, um, and he, he allows him to kind of tag along, but but in in very much a kind of. Uh, uh, a perspective of well, uh, you know, we're not a team. We're not together in this. Yeah. You can come with me, but I'm doing my own thing. What I like about the 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 escape itself is it it again it feels, I mean, it feels quite realistic in an unrealistic way, I guess, really. But th- there's there's a point where the two characters grease themselves up because it's Alaska, it's the winter, it's you know minus twenty outside, and they're going to be running across Alaskan wilderness for. What could be up to, you know, 20, 30 miles. Um, so they're greased up, they get, take their clothes off, they grease up, they put their clothes back on, then they go down into the sewers. And it's not a Hollywood sewer. It's, you know, it's grim, it looks cold, they escape into the wilderness, and it looks cold, and it feels cold. And you really get a sense that they are, they're toughing it out here. They fall into an icy river at one point and yeah. go down the, go down the stream and they get out. I mean, by this point, I'd probably have died. <laughs> but they, they seem, they seem, they're hardy characters, I guess, really. And they end up at a, a kind of a, a train junction or, or kind of, I don't know what the word is, like. Terminus. Yeah, a terminus, that's it, yeah. They end up there, they end up at a terminus and they, they, they manage to get into like a, a changing room for some of the workers where they're able to change their gear, get into some warm clothes. Uh, Buck is able to get some shoes. He's been moaning about shoes all this time. And all through this, Buck is kind of a bit of a moaner. He's a bit of a pain, to be honest. He's 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 got a very kind of hyperactive voice and a hyperactive style, which is in in incredible contrast to Manny, who I think inter- internalizes everything. He's quite a brooding character. He's a tough yeah. character. 
Absolutely. Even, even after they steal the clothes to get dressed, I mean, Manny is he's in a hard hat, he's in a high vis, he's in a thick jacket, yeah. and he looks again like a working man. But he does. throws on whatever clothes he has, and he's like got a, an eight, pink eighties t-shirt and a yeah, scarf, and yeah. he looks like an idiot in borrowed clothes. He does. And there, yeah, there's a huge visual contrast. But and even though again, it's funny because you've seen back in the the boxing ring, he's you know incredibly well muscled, and he's a you know he's yeah. a young fit man compared to he Manny, is. who is just more like a, 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 a kind of aging tough guy. But Buck yeah. looks ridiculous. He he, he just he whether does. he's too gangly or the fact that he doesn't shut up or he he I think he talks a lot because Manny doesn't, and therefore he's the yeah. one filling the silence all the time. Are you? Maybe you hear Buck's name once in the film. You know Manny, because all you, know you, all you hear right, is Manny. Yeah. He says, Manny, 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 yeah. I'm cold, Manny, I Constantly. need shoes, Manny. Um, yeah. And it is yeah. a contrast between the two of them. And they, they, yeah, they're not certainly not a team at this point. And it's shown no. in the Terminus scene when um, Buck is trying to rip open some lockers to get some warm clothes and some shoes. And um, Manny is telling him, don't make a noise. And he almost threatens, I think he threatens him with a shiv, saying, you know, don't, yeah. don't you, you do what I tell you. And it's yeah. quite clear they are not partners. And Buck is like... Um, I'm not going to give you a reason to kill me, and yeah. it's still that yeah. relationship is going on. That I think um, is is a benefit to the film as well, because at, at this point you you're still not sure how this is going to play out. Manny is unpredictable. He is he's a proper tough guy, and he is driven purely by one task, and that is to escape. And he doesn't seem to be bothered about Buck at all. If Buck is going to get in the way, he's going to end him. Yeah. Whereas Buck is much more of a look at us partners, we're on the run, we're doing this, isn't this fun? He takes it a little bit more lightheartedly, perhaps, and that's not what Manny's about at all. Yeah. They're in the terminus. But then this this film immediately this is the point where it changes from being a prison yeah. break film. Yeah. Um, because, Very. because they 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 pick they pick their train, which is a four locomotive engine um yeah. coming on, and the way this train appears, it's the star of the show there is a it's astonishing it's, it's a brilliant. cloud of smoke and steam yeah. and then out of it and the music swells comes yeah. this you know good old american iron locomotive and yeah. you just think that's the most beautiful train i've ever seen it's it's really well presented yeah and um at, at this point um manny uh, buck asks they're having an argument about which train they should get on yeah. and it's this huge train pulls into view and manny says i want that one yeah uh, basically and then buck says well why and he says because it's mine, yeah. and you think that's a that's a brilliant that's a brilliant statement, and it, it it sums Manny up perfectly in that regard. He just he knows he, that's what he wants, and he's going to get it. So they get on this train, and uh, you know, it cuts to uh, the 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 aging railroad engineer who is um, kind of driving the train, as it were. He he has he has a heart attack just as the train sets off and basically falls off the train, but leaving the brakes slightly on but not enough to stop it and it, effectively that the brakes break as it were yeah. and so we now have what is the titular runaway train effectively and it starts off reasonably slow but obviously builds up a head of steam over time now at this point manny and buck aren't aware that they're in a train which has no driver so they are effectively pretty content with what's happened they're thinking all right well this is it now we're on our way we are free but in, um, this, in this moment when they think they're they're home and dry um is when they yeah. start to talk about you know what they'll do next and that's when you get yes. that's when manny probably opens up for the first time um he does he, he say he like, talks when he's not either issuing a threat or issuing an order um he yes. actually starts talking to eric roberts about you know because eric roberts is all talking about you know i i, I got a a great bank we could rob if we get out i'm going to atlantic city and this kind of stuff and it's um it's the, a brief, this is a particularly fantastic monologue yeah, this this is the this is the monologue they'd show at the award ceremonies. This is where they say yeah. runaway train, and here's John Voight, and this is you know up for best actor. This is how yeah. he does it. It's the, the monologue is brilliantly played, and uh, you know I read, read something about this particular scene. It was completely improvised as well. Uh, okay. So it was it was totally off the cuff, and it's effectively saying, but says to Manny, you know, when we get out, I'm gonna yeah gonna rob banks, I'm gonna you know 
go to Miami. I'm going to be, you know, going to have a great time. And Manny effectively says, you're talking rubbish. What's going to happen is that you're going to get a job. It's going to grind you down. In the end, you're going to break and you'll end up back in prison. He says it much better than that. Oh, is that what he, really... he took from that? I thought he was he was going the other way. He was saying you, what, what you really need to do is get, you know, the, the, the lowest paying job you can because that's what yeah. you'll be able to get. You've got to grind yeah. away at it. And if you yeah. can if you can put up with the, the drudgery and, you know, the, 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 uh, you know, the line manager who's going to pick yeah. on you and if you yeah. can put up with all that, then you'll have it made because that's what, you know, that's what you should do with your life. Well, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think that that is the sentiment of it. But yeah. I also think that there is some doubt in Manny's yeah. tone of voice and expression that that Buck can ever do that. Yeah, I think. Well, I think firstly, Manny is saying that because almost he he believes in his myth and he thinks that's what the myth yeah. of Manny would say. Manny would turn yeah. someone on the straight and narrow because that's yeah. what he would say. It's interesting, of course, that he gives again was probably the best speech of the film uh, from John Voight. And Eric Roberts' reaction is, "Nah, I'm not going to do that." <laughs> He literally yeah. just dusted off immediately, saying, "I ain't doing yeah, that. No. <laughs> that ain't for me." But that—that's the difference between Manny, who is cold, calculating, precise, tough, and Buck, who is impulsive, uncontrollable, almost a joke a little bit, but but quite dangerous because of that as well. Yeah. You can imagine him just getting into trouble, whereas Manny is trouble. Yeah, yeah. And that I think is the difference there. Um, the train, the train now being run away again. Um, I was thinking yeah. actually, with yeah, the guy having his heart attack. Um, this is a very lean film. It comes under two hours, which I very much approve of in any film. Um, yeah. in fact, I think it's, it's about one hour 35 or 45 mm. minutes. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a lean film. Yeah, but again, I was thinking, were this a more modern film that tends to pad things out, we'd have seen the driver in advance, maybe, you know, scoffing a donut or doing a few coughs or something like that. It's an incredibly yeah. abrupt death. It's literally like you see the driver and he's clutching his chest and he falls off the train, um, which may be a little bit too abrupt. I'd like to have a little bit more run up into the fact that this, this driver is not in the best of health. Um, but for all that, we, we then cut to the kind of the, the, the nerve centre of the trains where... Um, yeah. Where they basically work out this train is is not running well. I'll probably just mention now. I won't come back to it. None of the people in charge of the train are particularly redeemable. Um, no, they're, they're not. They're, they're either lazy or incompetent or aggressive or arrogant. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's it's all just. And yeah, it's funny how on a disaster film, there's normally some character in in the rescue part of the disaster film you'll get behind. Yeah. I couldn't get behind any of these characters. They're all yeah. awful. Um, well, they are, but I think they are supposed to be awful as well. In, in some respects, they're supposed to be pathetic yeah. because they are the, the, the dispatchers themselves. When they realise that they have a runaway train on their hands, they are effectively trying to save their own bacon. They're effectively saying, "Right, can we?" They're, they're either trying to prove that the system that they have, which will move trains off certain tracks at certain points in time, works. So this because, is this is Barstow. He's 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 the one who's brought yeah. in as the apparent whiz kid yeah. that that created. The computer, which is basically a big board with light bulbs in it, um, yeah. he, the computer system that can control the trains, and therefore he's confident that all he needs to do is flick his switches, and therefore the train will shunt safely out of the way. He thinks he can move all the trains out of the way of this runaway and yeah. give them time to think of something. Yeah, um, even even if in the end that is that the train just crashes somewhere, yeah. but that's fine as long as as long as the system works. Yeah, so so he's, he's he's brought into the system yeah. in that context. Uh, you've got this the other character, Dave Prince. Who is played by, I can't remember the actor's name, but he's in The Thing. TK as well. Carter. That's it, TK Carter, yeah. Who, and he, he, he almost, almost is the comic relief because he's, I suppose he plays that kind of mid 80s African American character, which is a, a, a little bit, over, it's kind of stereotypical, it's a little yeah. bit over the top. 
Um, People of Colour do not come out well from this film because there's the only, no, the only no. two guys is him and the guard who was so incompetent he didn't notice the laundry cart was full of, of a prisoner <laughs> because he was too yeah. busy looking at a Playboy mag. And then yeah, Tiger exactly. Carter also yeah. looking at a Playboy mag in his first scene. Um, and yet basically, yeah, does is, is the comic relief in generally inappropriate ways. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's, it's not the most um, progressive role for, for Tika Carter, I would say, but nevertheless... It, no, his his role not, is mostly either to panic or to point things out, because he does, yes, he does exactly. between the two things. Either, like, he'll point out this bridge is unsafe, or he'll point, yeah. or he'll just wander around saying... He, he's, he has some line like, that. I can't lose my job, I ain't yeah. got no money like Michael Jackson, which is, of yeah. course, what, what naturally trips off the tongue when you've got a runaway train. <laughs> yeah, whereas the Frank Bastard character is all ego and all all arrogance and kind of unwarranted really because he's a bit of a pathetic character in the end and Um, and his supervisor mr mcdonald um again almost the voice of reason uh, because he's yeah he's an older character um so he's he's clearly a senior to barstow he's like you know the old train man and his first reaction is it's it's four you know it's four four trains it's got no one on board derail it let's end this right now before it kills someone but then he goes into think of what that could cost the company (laughs) So he's yeah. awful as well because all he's talking. Every move they make is this is this. Think of what this cost. This is this is terrible. Whereas in yeah. fact, had he been just you know a, a nudge in the direction of the grizzled old guy who knows what he's talking about, he could have been just let's be sensible. Let's just end this. But of course, if you have a sensible character, this thing could have ended very quickly. They would have derailed yeah, exactly. it. They wouldn't have known about the prisoners. They would have died. It would have been a thirty-minute. <laughs> the film, film would so, have been very very lean. So about twenty yeah. minutes long. So and maybe it would have it's been maybe, maybe it's best that it is like this. Um, yeah. But yeah. they're, they're, all the characters are reprehensible, and they, they do exactly that. They, they scramble around trying to work out what to do. Their first reaction is to derail it, um, but then the, the, the guy in charge of the switches, who they call, happens to hear the, the horn ringing, and he goes, well, actually, there's, there's someone on this train, so they have to underderail it very quickly. Um, yeah. And then they have a bit of an argument about, you could have killed someone had you derailed this, because, yeah, Barstow yeah. is already saying, I want you to derail the train. Mr. McDonald has said we need to derail the train. Yeah, yeah. So they're all about covering themselves. and um, yeah, but so but we also don't know who's ringing this horn because it's not Oscar, it's not um, Manny and Buck doing this. So we have any... no, and Manny and Buck don't know who this might be either. So they try to they, yeah they try to keep the tracks the tracks clear. But the the reason why the locomotive the train toots its horn as it were toot is such a wrong word for it because it's quite a robust noise. It's because the the the, the train is about to smash into the caboose of another train effectively. So and, and this... so it, it, it avoids a head-on collision, but they don't yeah. manage to get out of the way enough. So you get a little bit of a prank. So that's that's your. Enough to have yeah. a, a shock and a, an explosion, yeah. and then the, the front of the train gets lovely mangled up with scrap, so it looks even more monstrous. Yeah. Um, and it's important. It's an important point as well because the 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 prang with the caboose basically means that the engine of the train is locked; it can't be accessed. Yeah. And, so, and this also alerts Buck and Manny the fact that something is not right. So anyway, Barstow cancels the derailment because there's someone on it. Yeah. At this point, Rankin, the warden, has been. You know, aware that Manny and Buck have escaped, what's going on is, you know, been searching the Alaskan wilderness in a helicopter looking for them. Yeah, this is the funny thing because this, this is almost, yeah, this is the, um, the very much, you know, the colonel is chasing after Rambo. Um, this is, so, it is, yeah, um, it is. Yeah. Ex- except that, yeah, he, he's literally now, he, Basto is, is spelling it out for us that they, you know, they are, they are sides of the same different coin. Um, he's like saying, you know, I, I know Manny, I know what he'd do. This is what I'd do if I was there. And, and this is when they get, when they they find out that there's been some clothes found in the, this changing room in in the terminus, yeah, and so therefore Rankin goes to the dispatch centre where he meets Barstow and and Eddie McDonald, and this is where we start the conversation. They realise that actually there's people on this runaway train. Oh, hang on a minute, 
Could it possibly be Manny and Buck? It probably is. And so then there's a bit of a contretemps between Barstow, who is, you know, adamant that he's in charge of, of the, the dispatch centre, even though his superior, Eddie McDonald, is there as well. Yeah. And they have a bit of a contretemps and he basically says, you know, I'm, I'm fed up with this. I'm not having this. I'm in charge here. You're not in charge. This isn't, this isn't your area. You're, you're a warden of a prison. Let me do my job. He then goes to the toilet and then <laughs> Ranky basically bursts into the toilet forces him down into the toilet itself. It's a really intense scene. You think, guy, this this warden is a bloody psychopath. Yeah. You, this, you really this, feel like he's going to kill, he's going to kill Barstow here. Yeah. And Barstow realises it and goes, all right, yeah, fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm shutting up now. Yeah, because Barstow was already throwing his way around, but even when he was, he was yelling at Rankin, he was yelling from a sitting down position, and as soon as he'd finished, he, he runs off to the toilet. So you kind of knew he'd overextended himself anyway. Um, yeah. and, and then Rankin, yeah, Rankin is there. He's got a shoulder holster. He, he looks fearless. Yeah, he flushes Buster's head down the toilet twice and then is literally saying, you know, one more word from you and I'm going to shoot you. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and he, and he just, he just lays out, yeah, lays on the most intimidating thing. And it, it's, it's again, I'm trying to think now. It's like he's a hijacker and he's taken over the train, <laughs> the it train is, terminus is, yeah. because he's yeah. now in charge and he just tells Barstow, find where that train is. So, yeah, so yeah. this is where uh, Rankin then again takes the lead in what to do about the train. Yeah, and yeah, it, 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 what it shows, I think, quite clearly, is that Rankin and Manny, they're the same character. They have the same temperament, but they're from completely different perspectives, yeah. as it were. So, you know, they're both, they're both dangerous, but one you root for and one you don't root for, effectively, is, is, is the process. So the, the, the train's horn has, has sounded um, because of this. And what we realise is that there's a third member on, on the, the, the runaway train, um, played by Rebecca de Mornay, uh, Sarah, who is a locomotive hostler, I think the word is. Yeah, which is, I think, um, like an apprentice engineer. Yeah, basically. Um, yeah. So what, um, what we see, firstly, is a, a heavily clothed and um, hard-hatted person uh, of indiscriminate gender making their way back towards Manny's cab. It's kind of crawling along the walkways of the train and coming to the yeah. rear of the train. Um, and, so and, yeah, Manny and, and, and Buck are ready to jump the them train. and kill them. And of course, the, the hat comes off and who could it be but Rebecca de Mornay, who I'd exactly. say would not be my first pick for um, an Alaskan train engineer. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you're right. Yeah, not not necessarily. Um, she uh, plays it well, though. She, she has she's... an interesting role in the film, really, because I, I think it's fair to say she doesn't have a lot to do, but... What she does do is allow Manny and Buck to reflect on their actions a bit. She acts as that kind of conduit between them, yeah. which is interesting. So she, she herself... She is important, certainly as, as the, the action comes to a conclusion, is she's important yeah. that she's there. And for, yeah. But for the initial part, she's important as someone who knows a little bit about the train. Because, yeah, exactly. she, because again, in any kind of any disaster movie... You've got to give the characters a number of things to try, and she she's the one that comes up yeah. with the things to try. She explains why they can't break the train from the rear; they have to go to the front, which is not accessible. Yeah. Maybe yeah. they can try to shut down um, it carriage by carriage by kind of going outside and knocking off the electrical cables. And they so they they've, they've got a plan of action now, which is actually what you need in any movie. You can't just be they're trapped on a train for an hour and there's no yeah. stopping it. They've got yeah. to at least be proactive. So they do that. They yeah. go out. Because they form their first team, the other three of them are now working together, and they, yeah. they kind of they crawl out, you know, they're clinging onto each other's belts and coats to yeah. this so they'd be safe, and they're kind of whacking off these electrical cables. So one by one, the train cars slow down, all except yeah. for the primary one, which they can't get to, but they've stopped three of them, which means yeah. the train has now slowed down to a speed where it won't kill them when they cross the bridge. That's the first obstacle achieved. Yeah. Yes, exactly, um, yeah. And, so, and that happens, and they, they, they cross the bridge, yeah. and it's a really good scene as well. They cross the bridge, it rattles a bit, some of the kind of awnings come off, but yeah. it, it survives. And um, this is the point at which there are two railway transport police, I suppose, that are there to kind of oversee the train going over the bridge. And they see Manny, Buck, and Sarah 
on the outside of the train walking back to their their trailer. <laughs> they report back to the uh, dispatch centre, confirm that there are three people, and this is where Ranking basically says, "All oh, right, here we go." Yeah, it's 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 the the, the convict, and there's a third person. Well, this is, this is where they well, also, this where they also find out that Sarah was the, the third person. I'm assuming she was she was just working in the switching in the terminus. Went, cause she said she went there for a nap, um, so she she was having a sleep on yeah, the train. This is weird. So she yeah. Yeah, so she wasn't. Well, I suppose yeah. it's warmer than being outside in Alaska. Although there is, yeah, well, it, there true. was a common room with a fire in it. So you'd think, I don't know, maybe she went to a private nap. But that's where she got stuck on the train. She wasn't intended to be there, and she doesn't have kind of engineer knowledge to stop it. No. Um, no. Although once again, having found out there is a train employee on the train, nobody goes, "Oh my god, a colleague of ours is in mortal danger." Yeah, or, no, no. Or, what do we do about Sarah? Barca literally goes, "Oh my god, there's a woman on the train." <laughs> As if it wasn't bad enough, a woman's on the train. A woman? Oh, if only there wasn't a woman on the train, we might be able to do something about it. Yeah, why why does it have to be a woman? What, you know, she clearly knows nothing about trains. It's, it's, (laughs) Barstow does himself no favours here. No, I know. Well, that's, you know, that's typically 1980s though as well, isn't it? I mean, I don't think you can get away with that now, but it, it, I don't even know that it's played for for laughs. No, it is, it really is. Yeah, it's like, oh my god, things couldn't get any worse. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So so they've they've got past their first thing. But again, they basically hit a blank when they find there is no walkway to the main engine. um, And the door, the little door in the front of the second engine that leads to the first one is jammed because of the crash. And basically there's there's a lot of Buck and Manny of a confident they can crack any safe, but they kind of, you know, holler and strain and they just can't get the thing open. So essentially they've reached an impasse. And this is the point when back at the terminus they realise... This train is heading for a head-on collision now with a passenger train. So clearly yeah. Barstow's idea that let's just keep it running on the track and we'll solve the problem isn't going to work. Um, and the only place they can they can switch it off to leads to a, um, a toxic fuel dump or chemical, a massive yeah. chemical plant, yeah. where, which is the corner is too tight, so the train will derail when it's the plant, the plant will blow up, fumes yeah. will cover the county, you know, disaster is, a, is a incurring. So, so they must. So they they have to crash it. So they they said they've got to crash it, and I think Sarah yeah. then realizes when when they switch to a certain terminus, they've been put on a dead end terminus. They go. They yeah. they've, they've made the decision to kill the train and them on board rather than do anything else, and that is pretty much it now. There is no rescue in the train. It's no. either the, the either train, the yeah. train is going to be finished yeah. effectively. There, there's nothing else to do. So in either, that either those three save themselves, or that's it, because there's no other way around it. Um, so they make another concerted effort to get to the front of the train, and this is where. Yeah. It kind of things do reach a highlight because Manny reckons he can climb on the outside yeah. of this ice-covered tender, jump yeah. as this 90-mile-an-hour train onto the first tender where he can yeah. hit the kill switch and, and stop the yeah. train. Um, yeah. They pretty much he hasn't even opened the door. They realise he can't do that. He's got a broken hand. He's got a stabbed hand, and he hasn't yeah. got it. But Buck reckons yeah. so he, he can. For, do he it. forces Buck to do it almost, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Buck volunteers at first. Buck, Buck's almost enjoying the idea to to be a stand-up guy. He's he, you know, yeah. he gets his. He, it's almost like yes, yeah, Sarah is whether she's so panicked she thinks he's being brave or just wants him to go out there. She's like saying, yeah. "You're such a brave guy," and she's like wrapping a scarf on like he's being dressed for war. Um, uh, like he gets he gets the he gets the good goggles, he gets the the gloves, and he's like yeah. he's giving himself up to do this. And he even says to Manny before he leaves, "Manny, are we partners now?" Um, because that's really all he wanted was Manny it to is, say yeah. we're partners. And so he climbs out and he gives it a good go. Um, but he and he does give it a good go actually. Yeah, and it, 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 it you know. I think he did about as good as he possibly could do. Yeah. And Manny's, che- Manny's cheering him impossible. on too. Yeah, it yeah. is it is impossible. Um, and Manny's cheering him on. You know, you can do it. You can do it. Um, and Manny, Manny switches from cheering him on when Buck yeah. changes his mind and comes back in. Manny refuses to let him back in. Yeah, um, and, he's failed. Yeah, and 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 is like screaming, "You want to be a tough guy? You do it. You yeah. do it." Um, 
And this is, I think, where we first see the first cracks in Manny, when he's yeah. more than just an inspiring figure who thinks you can do anything. And now he's a character saying, you must go and, and risk almost certain death because yeah. it will benefit me. Exactly. And it, it takes Sarah to kind of drag Manny away from the door for, um, for Buck to get it. Yeah. Um, and Buck is kind of like clinging to the floor saying he can't do it. And Manny then starts kicking him um, yeah. quite brutally. Quite saying, violently as yeah. well, yeah. And it, it very quickly goes from kicking you, get up and do it, to I'm just kicking you. And they're all emotionally broken at that yeah. point. And then, then it's then, yeah, yeah. Well, then it turns to violence. Then, then um, kind of Sarah bites Manny's hand, Manny whips yeah. out his shiv, Buck whips out a wrench, and they're squaring off. And the two of them just saying, I'm going to kill, don't make me kill you, I will kill you, don't make me kill you. Even Sarah's on the act, screaming, kill him, kill him. And it's almost her final words of, of killing him when they all stop and think, what the hell are we all doing here? There's a realisation at that point. That is... Yeah certainly the low point for all of them at this film because Buck is absolutely broken. He is he realizes yeah. his hero Manny is not who he thought he'd be. Yeah. Manny realizes that he is also not the hero he projected himself to be. Yeah. Um, and, and that his 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 idea of freedom probably isn't going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and Sarah um is kind of reflective of, of both of the situation that's taking place and her demise that is imminent. I yeah, suppose. I think she's, she's really, yeah, she's stuck on a train with two prisoners and she's going to die. She's also almost, yeah. she became part of the frenzy. She was with, with yeah. the two of them, just as bloodthirsty as any of them, which was kind of that collective insanity took them all over. And now they're on the come down and, and that's that. Um, and then we come into what I think is probably the, I would call it unnecessary. I see how it moves the plot along, but let's just get to it. The helicopter with Barstow yeah. comes along. I think that this is an example of stunt work that I don't think would happen now because you would use computer, you'd use CGI. The stunt work on this film is brilliant um, yeah. and, and the real life stuff. I know there's some scenes where the actors are doing it and there's clearly a green screen behind them with yeah. the train running yeah. past, but bits when there's actually a guy clinging to a train or things like that, it's just, it's just, and the bits where the train is smashing through things. Um, yeah, so you've got a scene where, you've got a scene where a helicopter comes and you've, it's, it's, I don't know whether it's been piloted, but, but Rankin is, is certainly in the passenger seat, or he's in, he's in the helicopter. Yeah, he's, not, he's not piloted. And you've got a, <laughs> That's a clear afterwards. You, you've got, a, you've got, a, you've got a, I don't know, a, a, a prison operative climbing down the, the uh, kind of like a rope ladder that's been released from the helicopter. This is all being filmed. Yeah, it's not CGI. It's actually happening. Yeah. And you know, going over the train, and the, this, this particular. This, this poor fellow jumps off from the... But so, the, so, the, so the helicopter is trying to keep pace with this 90-mile-an-hour train, yeah, at the same yeah. time lowering a very long rope ladder down which a kind of balaclavered operative has climbed in the hope yeah. of, I think, jumping onto the first carriage and stopping it. Um, stopping the engine, yeah. It works out about as well as you can expect. Yeah, yeah, because he, he jumps off and then falls onto the carriage that Manny and Buck are in, yeah. smashing his head through the windscreen... Immediately killing him instantly, basically. But it's quite, it's quite an astonishing scene because A, it's very graphic. Yeah. And B, I don't expect to see it. And you do, you see him come through the windscreen and yeah. basically kind of cut his head off almost. And then he falls to one side and then he's gone basically. Yeah, and so you, then you see him, you see him actually go he, under the tracks too. He, it's not, go under the not, enough, well, yeah. not enough his head goes through the window and the, and the glasses, <laughs> the shattered glasses covered with blood. You also see him go under the tracks. There's no illusions. He has met his end. It's possibly unnecessary, but at the same time, it's it's in keeping with the tone of the film, yeah. which which veers from extreme violence, yeah. i.e. the stabbing of the hand, the 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 going through the window, and there's another scene that we'll come up to as well, yeah. which I which I think is quite graphic as well. Yeah, I'll say this, this point is it, I think that point isn't the unnecessary bit because it actually opens up two opportunities. One does, is yeah. now the front of the train is now the glass has all been smashed yeah. through, so it is possible for a, a, someone to climb through climb and, out and of that, get yeah. onto the other the tender. 
And also, again, this is the odd bit, where uh, Rankin, having seen what happened, thinks his best action is to get a balaclava himself and climb yeah. down the ladder, um, yeah. which is exactly it, what he it, does. Could, this, is, this is the drive of Rankin, though. To, he, he's, 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 at this point, wild. He's full Captain Ahab. Um, yeah, yeah, he has, yeah. And he's obviously thinking, rather than um, compassion or sympathy for the, the operative that has, you know, died a horrific death, you can see in his head, he's, he's thinking... You idiot! I've got to do everything myself. So, you know, it goes down and does it. And it, it, he, 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 well, no, he's clearly grinning madly. He, he, he relishes this chance um, to, yeah, to take on exactly. himself yeah. as well. But Manny, at this point, because the windscreen has been smashed open, thinks to himself, "Well, this is the opportunity to get into the the engine and flick the kill switch." So he starts to climb out. He says, "I'm going to go." Basically, and yeah. climbs out of the window and. He does this perilous jump from his carriage into uh, onto the kind of carriages above, and then and then finally gets over onto the engine. And it's you know it, he almost doesn't make it. He falls into the kind of wires and the electrical equipment and the the carriage lock. Yeah. Grabs, he's you know he's almost fallen off. He's almost under the the wheels of the train. Grabs grabs hold of the the carriage lock, as it were, where the two carriages meet. The kind of mechanical bit. It proceeds to crush his fingers, oh. and it's really. Really disgusting. Yeah. And his fingers like spurt blood everywhere. You see like the tendons hanging out. <laughs> uh, he manages some, and he's in a bad shape at this point. He's it's in a really a, yeah. bad shape. And it's, again, he's got, it's, it's, hand. He's got no fingers left. It's yeah, blood. so this is just one hand. So with one hand is good. The other hand, which was the bandaged one, is just a ragged, bloody mess. Um, <laughs> yeah, I and, mean, and, I'm laughing, but and it, is, it, it, yeah. must, it must have been awful. So, but anyway, he manages to climb somehow. He manages to climb himself up from the the, the middle of between these two carriages yeah. into the engine. Yeah, and, and this, this, is, this was the, the entire thing. He, by, he said he'd do it by sheer grit. I mean, like he literally, yeah. he, he, he pours the last of the alcohol. They've got a bottle of alcohol with them. He pours yeah. it over his broken hand, as in, I will just grit my way through this. Um, yeah, his force of will comes yeah, through there. Which is exactly what he does. He, he makes it to the, the front carriage. Yeah, he does. He makes it to the front carriage, where he, he basically hides and waits for Rankin, who at this point has jumped off the, the ladder from the helicopter, has miraculously managed to kind of stabilizes his feet on the carriages, also jumps onto the engine, again miraculously, gets into the engine room, at which point Manny attacks him with a fire hydrant and kind of knocks him out or knocks him to the floor, gets his handcuffs and then handcuffs him to a you know, piece of metal in the engine room. So we've then got Manny and Rankin there together in the engine carriage Although on the might, runaway yeah. train, hurtling towards its end point. Well, they'll wind back, actually, to the, um, after the window's been smashed through, Manny again sees its ranking in the helicopter, because I think that was a surprise to them that there wasn't anyone coming in in the first place. And yeah, he, I again, see. immediately starts abusing Rankin, the fact yeah, that he's actually, free and he's yeah, alive. Actually, and yeah. once again, as with the boxing match, Manny is staring right upwards at Rankin in defiance. He's screaming at him, he's, he's gesturing, he's insulting him, and that's the, almost the book ending of Manny is once again below ranking yeah. but very much defiant and yeah and unbroken. and actually that that's the thing that spurs manny on to get out of the window because he, he doesn't want to be defeated by ranking he doesn't want to lose he and, and i think this is this comes into the kind of the, some of the final scenes of the film as well the fact that manny almost can't lose he can't lose in this situation okay so ranking is now on the train he's in the engine room but he's got the handcuffs he's attached him to the engine itself manny's free almost He's free to make the decisions now, whilst Rankin is a prisoner in the engine room. Yeah. So he's won. And whatever happens on the train now, 
whatever the outcome, Manny's effectively won. And Manny, and ha- Manny has the power because there's a great big off button next to Manny. All he has to do is press yeah. that, and they're he all saved. He switch the, yeah, flip the kill switch. Yeah, that's all he has to do. It was all he has to do, but he doesn't want to do it because if he flicks it, he's lost. So and he's he clearly does. enjoying the warden's discomfort, knowing yeah. that they're all going to die, and he could stop it because he he doesn't he waits until the warden is actually broken and and yeah. kind of because the warden's trying to be defiant too. The warden is saying, "I'm not afraid to die," but his you know, his voice is cracking and he's clearly not happy with the situation. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Whereas Manny at this point is fairly relaxed about the whole situation. He he, he, he almost kind of euphoric. He's very calm. Um, he's probably the calmest he's been since he was he last in it, when he found him in his cell um, at the very beginning yeah. of the, the film. He's almost tr- he's almost in a trance. In fact, yeah. he's, he's you know you can see him. He's just he's accepting of the situation. He's won. He's happy. This but is he's, it. He's, and for yeah. him, this is freedom. But he's then reminded of Buck and Sarah because that's um, Rankin's yeah. last attempt to, to yeah. get him to stop the train. Is what about those two? Which is then he goes back and again does a tremendous force of effort to decouple the train um, yeah, and, and send them. And of course, again, Buck and Sarah, who've basically been clinging to each other, knowing they're going to die, then realise Manny has survived and has done this for them. Again, there's an emotional thing. Buck is crying out to Manny to stop the train to save himself, not to die. Yeah. Sarah kind of is more perceptive and realises he, 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 Manny knows what he wants to do. Um, yeah. So then having saved those two and, again, doomed the warden and himself, Manny then just climbs to the top of the train yeah. and, and, and surfs it into oblivion. And it's, a, it's an absolute, for me anyway, it's, it's a brilliant ending. Yeah. And it's a really, it's, it's, it, it packs, I think, quite an emotional punch as well, because the scene is he's on top of the, the train. He's, he's staggering on top of the train, but he's, again, he's a force of nature. It's his, I don't know, he comes out of it very authoritative he's he's made the decision he's accepting of that decision and you don't you know you don't see a close-up it's it's filmed from a distance with him on the train and the train going into the you don't see the train crash specifically it's just it, I think it, it just yeah, goes off into the into the white um yeah. and again it's yeah. it's because Manny is, is on top of the train obviously the slipstream he's having to kind of brace his body so he looks quite heroic on top of it too yeah. his legs are apart his his fists yeah. are clenched to what's left of his fist um and yeah. he's leaning into it um he's not kind of going he's not again as the warden he's not chained to a rail and just no. going to die passively. He is no. facing his end. And they, have to yeah. make, they cut back at these points to shots of the prisoners. The prisoners are looking quite mournful that again, their, their hero has died. Yeah. Whether this is just you know a dramatic license or whatever, you know, they learned about it afterwards or whatever. It's shown as if it's real time, as in this is Manny, these are his people, yeah. this is where the end he is going to go to. Yeah, absolutely. And then the film ends. <laughs> and then ends on a quote from Richard III as well. It does, yeah. No beast so fierce but knows some touch of pity, but I know none. And therefore, am no beast, which I think is a really nice way to end the film because what what it, I, you know I, what it quite tells you about Manny specifically, but um, the principle of the warden's hatred of Manny was that he considered him an animal, and actually the final statement suggests that perhaps he isn't an animal, but there are touches of animalistic tendencies within him, and I think that's just quite quite a, quite a nice way to tie the film up, and then it ends. And that's effectively the film Runaway Train. We are now going to talk uh, about the analysis of Runaway Train and the reasons why it was chosen. Join us for the second part of Weekend at Crombies. Welcome back. Uh, we will now discuss the reason why this film was chosen and look into any, uh, any thematic analysis. James, could you tell yeah. us why you chose Runaway Train? Yeah, so as, as Hugh says, this was my choice for um, this month's weekend at Crombies. Um, I saw Runaway Train many years ago. I can't recall exactly 
when probably would have been in I don't know it would have been in the 90s I'm assuming and I thought at that time it was an exceptional action film at which point it fell completely from my consciousness and I'd never heard about it again and it doesn't seem to have the it doesn't seem to have the reputation or the love that other action films from the 80s have of that kind of ilk, that kind of very tough, tough action film approach. So I'm thinking of films like Die Hard, for example, which is, you know, a very 80s film, a very tough guy film, but is beloved by many. Whereas Runaway Train, for whatever reason, is the, the equal of Die Hard with regards to things like stunt work, characterization, a kind of force of nature in the type of film, the thrilling aspect of it, the, the edge of the sea style um, work. But, but literally, you know, it is, is one of the most underrated or um, maybe not underrated, but it's, you, I just don't hear anything about it. So I was I was just looking at films to watch on Letterboxd, which is a kind of social media site for, for film. I wouldn't say buffs necessarily, but people who like films effectively. And Runaway Train came up as one of these underrated films or unloved films that really should be reassessed. Oh, that sounds good. I'll give that a go. So that's why I chose it effectively. And yeah, I mean, you know, it it also ticks a number of boxes for Weekend at Crombies in the sense that it's a film that I don't think we are going to get a lot of people listening about just because of the film itself. It is of its very target audience. (laughs) How how many people can we drive away with films they've never heard of? It's very much of its time. It's a very, it could only have been made in the eighties and it feels like a perfectly 1980s film as well. I'm going to question Um, a few of those things when we get to analysis, but let's put a pin in that. I remember those things you said. Um, Yeah. Um, For me, it, 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 there was a lot to talk about with it. So I thought, yeah, let's give it a go. Let's watch that. And I think, I think, you know, it's it's certainly a, a choice I'm pleased I make I made um, if I can speak English um, and uh, I, there was there was a lot in it I thought Th- thematically I think there's a lot in it as well at face value it's a relatively straightforward actioner where the reasonably straightforward setup is is well done but it's effectively a prison drama which then morphs into a disaster film as you mentioned earlier Hugh of which the plot points are you know very similar to a lot of other type of disaster movies, um, a lot of other type of action films, but which I think are they the virtue of the film is, is pushed up a little bit because of the focus on the characterization um, of particularly of, of Manny and Buck and particularly of Manny, actually, who I think is a fantastic action protagonist. Mm. Um, certainly up there for me with some of the most memorable um action protagonist that i can think of and if it isn't john voigt's best performance and you know he's made a a, a fair few very well-known films i'd be surprised if he's done better than in this film particularly so there's that aspect of it i think that there are really strong themes of uh freedom or self-agency and kind of fighting against the wild fight and fighting against yourself in many respects as well. There's a lot of contrasts in the film between the, 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 the warden's psychopathic nature and Manny's psychopathic nature, which are reflected. They're mirrored with each other, uh, which I think really interesting as well. It's, it's a film which I think exposes very 
well the raw nature of some of the kind of insular style of characterization, particularly with Manny as well. He's a very inward looking individual. But as the film goes on, you realize that he he has ferocious determinism and he but he's not a good character and he's not a bad character. There are no heroes in this film, yeah. but you still root for the the protagonist and for me personally I particularly was rooting for Manny all the way through it he's a character I love in many ways not because I like him as an individual but because his character arc stays reasonably straightforward but he's always interesting and you always I I wanted him to succeed in this film so badly and and that's that's why there's an investment in the film I think with characters yeah it, it doesn't matter if they're morally good or bad if they're driven and good at what they do and interesting you generally you're generally on their side of the you know in terms of the movie um and I think Manny yeah. definitely falls into that position he is he is all those things um, yeah. and yeah very interesting to watch well let's let's look at the themes I'd, I'd pick it up firstly let's go back to what you said yeah. about being a very 1980s film so this didn't make money in the box office I think it it, it certainly it yeah, flopped it, it was a flop yeah it didn't it didn't make money and to be honest Looking at it in that context, I'm not surprised. Um, no, I'm not either. This, yeah, I, this, I agree yeah, with you. This was yeah. 1985, and if you look at the other films and the other action films around, basically, if it wasn't a sci-fi movie or if it wasn't yeah. a cop movie, I don't think it got made. You're talking about the the Die Hard, the Lethal Weapons, yeah, um, or the, the Aliens, or the um, the Predators, or anything that you know, involved a muscular um, Eastern European man or uh, an old See, American yeah. cop. Those were the films that were being successful, and and they were. And they're all, you know, they're all those 80s films, I, mean, I enjoy a lot of them, but they're all of a style. Yeah. And they're all of a style that is very different to this style. This style, yeah. again, you said it was it was a very 80s film. It felt like it could be made in the 70s. It was it was very earthy. It, you know, the, the, the dialogue was improvised, so it had that naturalistic yeah. feel to it. There, were, there was no redeeming features, so it felt morally ambivalent. I, again, it had a good score, but it didn't have that kind of... Um, the resounding score that you'd get no, with this film. It had a no. score that... The, yeah, you're right. like the, the score train, doesn't it, it, drive the film. Yeah, in, like, in the same way that the score drives drove a lot of what happened with Quigley Down Under, for yeah, example. Yes, very yeah. different film. Again, that also, but, again, that the was score like is very much secondary. Yeah, so this to me didn't feel like an 80s film, and I can easily see... I don't know whether it had production issues that came out late, or this had this been pre-blockbuster film, it might have had a better audience. Um, well, that's a very interesting point that you, you, you make there, Hugh, actually, because... Although there weren't production issues with the film itself when it was being made, initially the film, so the film is based on, the script yeah. is based on um, an Akira Kurosawa script. Um, yeah, obviously. I'd love often, to see that film. Yeah, Seven Samurai, uh, Yojimbo, Rashomon, etc., etc. And it was uh, a, a, a Kurosawa script of which he was going to direct, and it was going to be his first non-Japanese film, okay. his first American film. Um, and it was um, it, basically he, it was all set up. He was signed on to direct it, but they couldn't get financing. They couldn't get funding for the film. And this was in the late 70s and early 80s. OK, so uh, coupled with that, he fell ill, couldn't travel outside of Japan. So it was basically not scrapped, but, but shelved yeah. for a number of years until Canon, the uh, production company, very, very. I'd say very famous, very idiosyncratic production company, um, popular in the 80s and early 90s, came on board with some financing. They reworked the script a little bit to make it much more of an actioner rather than a kind of philosophical musings on what it means to be free and what it means to be a convict, as it were. Although it still retained some of that element to it. It became much more of a, uh, okay, prison, break, train, disaster movie. (laughs) Although I think, I, I personally, I do think that the Kurosawa 
um, influence in it does make a difference to how we see this film because there, there's a there's I wouldn't say there's a lightness of touch but there's certainly a philosophical drive to the film. I think that fi- that final scene alone could easily be Kurosawa uh, with them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so so that's it's probably a film that was bought the idea of which was born in the 70s yeah but wasn't made until the mid 80s and it was made and it was kind of not shoehorned necessarily but there was an action overlay onto the principal dynamics of the film itself yeah that's, that's where we get this kind of odd amalgamation mashup of the two sensibilities the more sophisticated be the wrong word but the more sensitive musings and philosophical ideas within the film although they're quite hidden but they do come up yeah and a full-blown stunt work of a top-notch extravagant action film which is quite brutal it would definitely be a very different film if kurosawa had made it and it might be it might also have been an exceptional film if kurosawa had made it but i don't necessarily think it would have been a better film well see i think the, again the talk about the the the, the action yeah. laid onto it i do feel that that rankin's last minute helicopter action was put in there and I, I see what you mean you get the confrontation between him and Manny at the end you get you know he kills them both I feel it didn't need that I thought firstly it was an incredible choice of ranking to make he's put himself in, in mortal peril I know he's driven and all that kind of stuff but that that was a big step for his character to do um, secondly it is quite a remarkable thing to happen in a film that has been mostly centred in reality you know the train is going at a certain speed the characters can do what they can do um mm. The, the, you know, to helicopter in is a big thing. Um, and also, it felt like they weren't confident in Manny's victory just freeing, you know, Buck and Sarah and then standing on the train to his death. That, that was, that was kind of his victory. It felt like yeah. they say, we've got to give you a very tangible victory over your arch enemy as well. And so let's put yeah. that in too. So the fact that the warden helicoptered in, which I don't know, I can see he's driven, I can see he's a counterpoint to Manny, but also at the beginning he was he was you know saying to Manny, I don't get my hands dirty, I'm not going to face you off, and maybe Manny drove him to this end. It's yeah. still a it's still a remarkable jump for that character to make, and also almost changes the ending for Manny. Manny's not just choosing to end it on his terms; he's also choosing to kill the warden too. And I don't know. I get what you're saying. I disagree with you. I think a little yeah. bit there, and the reason why I disagree is because I think that that you're right. At the start, the warden says, "I'm not going to get my hands dirty," but etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think that shows the hypocrisy of the characters because in the end, the warden can't help himself but to get his hands dirty because he is driven mad by Manny. Equally, Manny is a hypocrite. In you know, he's a he's a complex moral character. They both are complex moral characters. Yeah. Manny at points in the in the film in the carriage with with Buck describes you know what you need to do to make it if you can muckle down if you can grind out a job minimum wage and not and not fall apart that's what you've got to do equally you know he spurs buck to go out of the carriage and then when he can't get to the engine he castigates him he violently beats him so there's contradictions and hypocrisies within them yeah and i think what 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 that shows is that they are both driven by a particular need and that particular need is control and power to a certain extent but for Manny, who doesn't have that power, ultimately that need is about choice and it's about freedom. And he makes the choice to effectively murder Rankin, the warden. And I think he would always do that because when it comes down to it, he is a contradictory, hypocritical character. Yeah. He's not a character that I think is a straight. I mean, he's not a good person. He's not the hero of the film. He's the anti-hero of the film. The baddie is Rankin. Absolutely. Yeah. The other baddie is Manny. 
and because of that, there's no easy way out. And I, I, I didn't, I didn't want the ending of the film to be Manny creates this kind of heroic aspect. I needed him to be flawed. Okay, that's a good point. I still needed him to be flawed, and I, I almost, I loved him more for that. Yeah, I know. I have no problem with Manny choosing to kill the warden once he's in his power. That seemed very much yeah. in character. It was yeah. more the fact the warden had been sort of artificially presented to Manny to have that power over him. Um, yeah. And it, it was almost like you know maybe the. If they hadn't done the helicopter, they could have put the warden on a checkpoint and Manny chose to smash the train to the checkpoint rather than stop it to kill the warden. It's like yeah. some, sometimes the, 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 the arch villain has to be put in a situation where he wouldn't normally be so the, the anti-hero or the hero can kill them. Um, yeah, that's so right. That, that, whereas actually, for me, the, the film and the, the story was strong enough that it could have just been about, about Manny you know, grits his way forward to the front of the train, then chooses not to stop it. You freeze Buck and Sarah because he has a, you know, a flash of he has to help them. But even yeah. though when he gets across, that's not his first priority. His first priority isn't to stop the train and save them all. No. It's, to, it's to get the warden. And that's, again, that's very much in character of Manny. Um, it is, yeah. I think, I think Manny's a very consistent character. I think the film represents him very consistently in that context. Maybe less so for the warden. But the warden is, is almost a cartoon villain and i i mean he, he you know he's very brutal it's not cartoonish but he's he's very extreme yeah Whereas i would say if anyone fits in yeah, Manny, yeah. I think. if anyone fits in the 1980s it's the warden actually because yeah, if you yeah. think about basically the warden could be the principal of the breakfast club um he, he's uh, right, yeah, he, he could, again i said he could be the guy chasing down rambo he could he is he is that authoritarian figure they normally have like a, a tweed jacket and a mustache yeah. they 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 exercise what petty authority they have and they're, you know, utterly ruthless and vindictive about it. And yeah. that's very 1980s. Um, it is very 1980s, yeah. There are a couple of things I want to, I want to just kind of um, focus on a little bit. They're less thematic, but more yeah. um, how, I, how I think the film worked for me personally. Okay. So the, the first one is, is the fact that I, I do consider Runaway Train, it is a superior action movie. Irrespective of, irrespective of any of the kind of f- f- um, subtleties of characterization. It has to work as an action film, and it does. I think it, it really does work as an action film, and I think part of that is that the action sequences in the film are genuinely stunning. They are real. They are um, on set, as it were. I know there are a couple of green screens, green screen situations, but it still creates a sense of danger. But a lot of the stunts, certainly, I don't know whether it's true or not, they seem to be there and then happening as the train is moving in the real world, in the wilderness, in Alaska, or wherever it was that they filmed it. Yeah. So and sometimes you see stunts in films that are observably very well constructed. And so you can admire the execution of the stunts, but they don't necessarily do anything for you. I know. I mean, it's more about if, if uh, you know, there's there's cowboy films when they jump on the stagecoach horses, and you yeah. you know, oh, that's a good jump the stuntman did. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that, that was really well done. That was that was a nice that was nicely executed. Yeah. Whereas in 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 Runaway Train, not only are the stunts exceptionally executed, they look dangerous. They look they look thrilling, and because of that, it really puts you in the movie. So I think you know. If the movie didn't fulfill the criteria of being an action film and have those action points in it and those set pieces, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't work at all, really, no. irrespective of anything else. The other thing but is, but I go further with those action sequences. Again, it's not just that they're they're well done and well portrayed; they are well told in the story. Yeah, you, are, right. you are you are set up with the, well, yeah. You're, you're given the problem. The problem is either there's a train in the way, this bridge is narrow. It's kind of you're given the problem. You're given yeah. the the urgency. You're given the solution, and, and yeah. you know, either gets away with it or they don't. Or there's a smash. But everything is nicely played out, so you know what the stakes are, you know what can happen if it goes wrong, yeah. and, and you, you, you go through it with them. Whereas actually, again, in 
a more, I guess, kinetic film, which is more the trend now, where everything's happening yeah. at once. Things are just smashing. You know, cars come from nowhere, airplanes yeah. fly out. Things are just happening, and it doesn't have. Yeah. There's no context. It loses its power a little bit, so doesn't you, it? So you're not yeah. investing it here. It you're right. There are there are no there are no explosions in the film where there shouldn't be an explosion, if that yeah. makes sense. It's, Everything... Again, it's, it's very little carnage when you consider about it. There's, there are three deaths in the film, one of which is a heart attack. You get the, the, yeah. the prison stabbing, the heart attack, and the the helicopter guy, who is really the only action death of the of the yeah. of right. the thing. There's the and rear, there's only actually one crash. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the rear of a caboose. The yeah, and the, and the bridge gets wobbled. Um, yeah. And yet it's a it's a it's a very tense film. It builds tension too. Everyone's saying how dangerous it is. You feel it. And I will say again, as a general point, runaway trains do make for very good disaster movies because they yeah. they have the problems. They they're difficult to stop. It's not like again yeah. in speed where you have a bus. The train is gonna keep on going. It escalates yeah. the problem. It's getting faster. Yeah. It has yeah. new problems even when you solve the old problems. You know, there's extra things keep coming in the way, and it's a it's a constant mounting tension. Um, and they're heavy as well, so you get a feel for the mechanical nature of those, especially those big American trains. Yeah. You know, but it, 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 you know, if that train crashed, it's going to cause damage. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, you really get a feel for the kind of corporeality of the train itself, the feel of the actual train. It's heft. Yeah. And you might, you know, there aren't that many big scenes in it but simply someone walking on the outside of the train on the railings when it's going really fast in the snow looks incredibly dangerous yeah. <laughs> and it's just done really well yeah. but i really like that about it i mean the, cin- I also... the cinematography too actually to come on to the, the snow um yeah. very often and i'm thinking about other things that either green screen throw snow or, or throw snowflakes in front of the camera yeah. for a movie that's you know 80 percent blizzard it's yeah. very visual. You, you you get a lot from it, even when the train is racing through a lot of a snowstorm. You, you never lose vision of what's happening or what's going on. Well, again, again, the, yeah, the train, that. as we said, is portrayed beautifully. When this train is you know, on its final destination and it's racing through the blizzard, it looks, again, it still, it still looks fantastic. It does. And and, and you, you mentioned that. It's, it's 80% blizzard, but the other 20% is filmed very confinedly in a uh, carriage, yeah. of which there isn't a lot. It's just... It's John Voight, Eric Roberts, and Rebecca de Mornay. And for most of it, it's John Voight and Eric Roberts only. Yeah. And their interplay is really good. It's a prison, and it's a dispatch centre. And that's effectively it. Yeah. And, and, and in those three environments, you create quite a really effective interplay of characterization, action, and development. So I was going to, you know, I was going to go on to say that the, the second element of the reason why it really works for me was that what makes it more than just a superior action movie, though, for me, is, is that there's a, the dynamics between Manny and Buck and Manny and Rankin are really cleverly done. And I think that they are really effectively done. So part of the kind of scariness of Manny is that he's clever. He's not he's not a dumbass. He's not a country bumpkin like Buck. He's he's intelligent and he's certainly intelligent enough to understand that the situation that they're in is effectively desperate. Yeah. That's it. They're done. And he's caught then. He's caught in this physical carriage, this trap where he can't get out of physically. And he's also caught in this kind of metaphysical trap, which is he's escaped, but he's still not free. And I, I really I really love that thematic element of it and you know you see you see the 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 the, not the mood swings but the kind of the 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 tonal shifts in manny's building up a rapport with buck but only then to kind of completely retract and castigate him and then build it up again and retract and in the end it becomes about him and can't almost open and i think that works really well and the final aspect i actually think just on top of that as well uh the 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 demonic character if you look at it just at face value, if you look at her character face value, she's she doesn't do much in the film, I don't think. 
But without her, you don't get that interplay between John Voigt and Eric Roberts to the, the extent that you need it. They, she, she acts as that kind of counterbalance, that fulcrum between the two of them, which I think works quite nicely. So it adds that frisson of, 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 of excitement in that area as well. Well, we, we haven't mentioned, again, this is, again, probably the, the most, uh, again, revealing speech Manny makes, apart from the one he initially gives to Buck, yeah. is when, again, they're all fighting. And because and she, she is, unlike Buck, who hero wishes Manny and is now heartbroken, she sees, or she thinks she sees him for what he is, again, this, this yeah, animal. Yeah. And she does scream yeah. him, you're an animal. And Manny yeah. just looks at him and goes, no, I'm worse, I'm human. I'm human, uh, yeah. And, brilliant, that's really brilliant, yeah, yeah. exactly. I'm and, worse, I'm human. and again, you came back to the fact that he's often compared to an animal by the, the warden. The, the Shakespeare quote comes back to animals, yeah. feel pity, I'm no animal. Um, yeah. It is, again, yeah, that the Manny is just this force of will, um, of, of human will. He's, he's not, he's not a beast who's, who's acting on instinct. He is just, he's going against his survival instinct. He's driving himself forward, um, yeah. again, for his own character. Um, and the, the, the third, the third aspect of the film, which I think raises it as well, is, is, is for me, the, the, the ending. I know that you have perhaps some issues with the ending, but I, I find it quite astonishing in its, in its emotional impact. I, I, I found it, I, I found it a very, I'll be honest and say, I think it's probably the perfect ending to the film it's not the perfect ending it's not the best ending to a film i've ever seen but it is perfect for this film the image of manny on the train his force of will forcing himself through to his end to his own demise it's not a speech it's not it's not scripted it's not a confrontation and i mean the very end when the train you know (coughs) rides into oblivion it's a it's a scene it's a picture and it just it and then with the with the quote from Shakespeare that comes up, I think that just ties it up really nicely. No, it I think it ties up yeah. all of the all of the all of the strands of the film in a in what is effectively a thirty second scene. I think it's it's brilliantly done. I think yeah, I think it's fantastic. Interestingly, again, it would have been more expensive and dangerous to do the crash scene or to have a conclusion well, yeah, it to have. it. Yeah. And so in, in yeah, many ways, that's that's a simple. Yeah. That. No, in many ways, that's a simple solution is just show it it's, going yeah. off into the thing. But it's also maybe it was by necessity, but it's an inspired ending. It's really. Not how films usually end. It, it's no, it's but it is brilliant. I've again uh, to wind back. I've just had my inspiration now. Uh, his name's Oscar Mannheim. His name's Manny. They keep in maybe this is a clue to the fact he's human. He's not an yeah, animal. Absolutely. They keep on. Oh, yeah, he's yeah. constantly yeah. referred to as a man. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that was my my clue into the script. And I think I agree with everything you said there. I think it's it's an action film was in its wrong time. I think that's why it missed its audience. Um, yeah. Again, it's why it's quite a good idea. We can promise to visit things thirty years later because you, you can see them afresh. Uh, yeah, because exactly. if, if you if you'd not told me if I didn't recognise the actors and didn't tell me who this was, I would have said this is probably a late seventies film. It has well, that well, kind of feel to it. You're right, actually. And, and and when you look back on a film thirty years later, it it I know you said it, it's a film that was made in the wrong time, but looking back thirty years later, it doesn't matter when it was made. Yeah, yeah. You know, because it stands on its own. Yeah. One, yeah, one thematic thing that's not a big part of the theme, and I think is unintentional, it's a, it's very odd. I had to check when it was made and check my dates, but I think this is right. When it comes to the end, again, you get back to the Terminus, <laughs> the guys, I, let's assume they're just trying to distract themselves, because um, they know the train's going to crash, they know the people are going to die, McDonald is making um, paperclip chains, and yeah, Rankin yeah. and, uh, and, and Barstow is just staring at the telly. They're both a bit yeah. glum. I assume it's because they're, they're both sad rather than just callous. But Barstow is, Barstow is kind of lamenting, we had all this technology, why didn't it work? I don't understand it. Um, but he's doing this while staring at the telly that's talking about a space shuttle. It's showing a launch of a space shuttle uh, that's going into space. And I'm guessing this is pre-Challenger disaster. It's about a year before is, the yeah. Challenger, so it must have been made two years before. Yeah. 
I mean, that would be a thematic team. It's like, no matter what you prepare for, things yeah. go wrong. I yeah. think the idea is meant to be, look, they can do it. They planned out the space shuttle. They've got this technology. Why couldn't we with our, with our, but actually, in a post-Challenger era, it, it in hindsight, yeah. yeah. In retrospect, it, it, it's a slightly more melancholy statement, actually, isn't it? Yeah. That's, so, that's really good. Yeah. Actually, that's true. I hadn't, I hadn't tweaked that. The one thing I also wanted to add is, is the, um, the, 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 the distribution production company, the Canon Group. Okay. Um, I don't know how much you know about Canon, but they, I they recognize were, this, this symbol of the 80s film. Yeah, the symbol. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I suppose for me, when you see the Canon symbol at the start of a film, it, 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 it's not a film I would associate with the quality of Runaway Train, <laughs> to be completely honest. Now, that's not to say that I don't enjoy some Canon films. They are of, they are of a type. Um, so, some are good, some are bad, some are ridiculous. Um, so it, I find it interesting that Runaway Train could be made by the Canon group, and it's effectively an action film from the mid-80s that was originally scripted by Akira Kurosawa, of which both John Voight and Eric Roberts, Eric Roberts, Hugh, were nominated for Best Actor at the Oscars and Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars. Um, and it was also nominated for Best Editing at the Oscars in 1986 as well. Um, that that film was made, that it was <laughs> even made, and yet it was. <laughs> and it's really good. <laughs> yeah. So I find out, I mean, I, I will read out a couple of other, I say a couple, there's quite a few here. I'll read out a couple of other canon film titles okay and we'll get and actually when you read runaway train itself sounds like it could be within this canon as, as it were and it makes me want to maybe watch some of these canon films because maybe we're missing something here so okay the texas chainsaw massacre 2 <laughs> life force blood sport cobra with still oh, I, I remember cobra yeah superman 4 <laughs> just superman the, 4 a really bad one Monsters of the Universe. The really good one. <laughs> Over the Top, again with Sylvester Stallone. Death Wish 3. <laughs> Cyborg with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Ninja 3. American Ninja. Chuck Norris in Missing in Action. 52 Pickup. And w- one more which I thought was quite funny. Schizoid. So <laughs> we've got, you know, King Solomon's Minds. American King Ninja Solomon's 2. Minds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, but so who who knows? There's you know, there's just a, a load of weird stuff there. In and amongst that is Runaway Train and Jean-Luc Godard's King Lear. So Canon <laughs> have a really eclectic range of films that they're making. I don't quite know what's going on, but um, it makes me want to revisit the Canon Canon uh, a bit more. See if there are any other perhaps weekend at Crombies. G- g- given that I really enjoyed Runaway Train, I, I might. I enjoy may have to veto in- Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. I might enjoy Exterminator 2 in the same way. <laughs> Alien from LA, Kiss, Kiss, Kiss. That's what it's called! I think it's, I think it might be Triple X rather than Kiss, Kiss, Kiss. <laughs> That's... I don't think anything that would do, you know, Texas Bloodsport would have a film about Alien, Kiss, Kiss, Kiss. Texas Bloodsport? <laughs> Even better, canon, let's just combine canon film titles. <laughs> Death Cobra 2, The Quest for Peace. King Lear's Death Warranty. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so there we go. So props to Canon for making a very, very diverse and eclectic uh, array of films. Well done, Canon. Um, let's look at the cast. I think we've 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 decided John Voight kind of yeah, very good and certainly Oscar worthy. I don't think he's been better. Personally, 
This was probably but, him I mean, against type. Um, I don't think yeah. Manny was was where you'd naturally go um, for John Voight, but he no. certainly he had prosthetics over one eye. He had you know, yeah, false he teeth. He, he went for it again. Eric Roberts. Um, he's a I think funny with, looking with Eric Roberts. It, it, it's a really it's a really well played um, role. It yeah. takes it takes you five or ten minutes to get with his kind of cadence and yeah. his vernacular and his style because it's yeah. very over the top. But it, in the end, it does work. But I, I felt at the start I was a little bit. Oh, hang on. This is, is this good acting or is this weird acting? Yeah. It's, it's a strange character too. I think it's meant to be because he's not like just, you know, a young kid in prison who's, you know, because he's, you know, he's, he's the boxing champion. He's clearly very, yeah. very handy. He, yeah. he, he gets up climbing the sport, so he knows he's very fit. Um, yeah. but he's, he's all kind of gangly and sinuous at the same time. He, he never seems to quite sit properly. He can't even put a t-shirt on properly. He, everything he does no. is awkward. Um, yeah, and I think is. that's, yeah. that's quite a nice, get with a brilliant contrast to Manny, who is always in control. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Although and, I won't and, get yeah, but Buck yeah. is basically his stream of consciousness yeah. and he's very open. Yeah. And, and Manny is the opposite. And it's, um, it's interesting again. It's, um, I think Eric Roberts falls into the Ben Mendelsohn role of he's a lot better when he gets old because he doesn't yeah. his young face doesn't really suit him. He's clearly you know, a fifty year old waiting to come out. He needs he needs some crack. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. I do find it odd though that I mean, Eric Roberts. I mean, he he was in this. What else has he been in? Even I can't I can't remember Batman Two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. But like nowadays, I mean, nowadays he's just in straight to video. Um, yeah, straight to video films. Uh, There's TV think, stuff too. I mean, he, he plays mostly just creepy, intimidating characters. Yeah, I don't know. He's, he's not. He's not an actor that I would have assumed would have received an Oscar nomination. But no. but I'm, I'm glad he did because you know this. He, he does, he's good in the film. He's good in it. Yeah. Rebecca De Mornay again mentioned is not what you'd think is your first pick uh, for, for the uh, the Alaskan engineer. Although again, I checked, I checked her career history. This is post Risky Business, which I'd guess yeah, would be her first. Yeah, a couple of years after that. Yeah. So it's, I'm assuming she chose this role to kind of get away from playing kind of the glamour model. And also, she would have been a reasonably big star at this time, and well, she has yeah, a, a significant been. secondary role. Um, it's an inter- again, it's interesting. I don't know. Again, she she plays it well. Yeah. It's an interesting role to just having that mix. She's mostly just a damsel in distress, and as she she adds she adds a necessary third third part to the, the dynamic. But she's mostly just terrified or getting but, threatened yeah. by them or that kind of stuff. And she, there are, I counted, there are four women in the movie. One is Rebecca de Mornay. The other one is, I think, a receptionist who never talks but looks shocked. She, like, does lots yeah. of holding her head in her hands. And yeah. the other two women she's are... She's very glamorous and buxom. Yeah. 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 And the other two women are in porn mags. And that's that's the entire female representation of this movie. Yeah. Which, yeah. I guess, it's, it's centred around Manny and Buck. It is... Actually, now I think about Buck is also a very masculine name too. This is clearly making no bones about it. This is a, a man's man's movie. Um, yeah, yeah, very about much masculinity. Um, but you are right about yeah. the uh, Rebecca De Mornay, though. I suppose in some respects, I think she's both quite important for the dynamic of the relationship between Oscar and Buck. But equally, if she wasn't in the film, I mean, there would have to have been some different plot development points. Yeah. But it wouldn't have made a huge amount of difference. Well, I think it's important that they. She is in their final fight. She is. She is. Some, she she adds dy- yeah. dy- dynamic to their their final competition yeah. when it all breaks down. Um, I'm just thinking about again Rebecca De Mornay's character. She, she's she's even with you know the Alaskan gear on and the the grease on her face. She's still quite fine boned. Got the crystalline blue it's, eyes. She still looks like she still looks like Milady De Winter on a train. <laughs> she, she she does not come across as this is someone whose job it is to work engines day in day out. So that's that that with that. Um, yeah. I will say as casting and I. This is apparently now common knowledge on IMDb and what have you, but I want to claim this, let it say for the record, I spotted this whilst watching it. Okay. One of the extras in the film is Danny Trejo. 
Oh yes, he is. Yes, I, he's in the boxing. He's fight in the boxing. Area. And his face is never in focus. He's never in anything other than middle distance. Yeah. And I clucked his moustache and thought, "That's Danny Trejo." And yeah. lo well, and behold, actually, it was. Um, it, it, this Runaway Train was his first credit. Yeah. Yeah, as you can imagine, he doesn't have any, you know, <laughs> he doing in the film. Yeah. <laughs> also, also of note was, yeah, Eddie Bunker is Jonah um, Manny's second in command. Eddie Bunker being the Reservoir Dog, um, who I think was a real criminal, um, that turned to movies and, and yeah. got killed off very quickly in Reservoir Dogs. But he's probably the other notable actor in it. But, and, and, and um, yeah, Ed, uh, Ed Bunker, he... He is the person that reworked the Akira Kurosawa script for this film as ah, well. Did he? Okay. Yeah, he did, and he also wrote Reservoir Dogs with Quentin Tarantino. Ah, there so you go. he's, he's a, a criminal turned Hollywood scriptwriter, come actor. Okay, right then. Um, and we've we've now well, given it the deep dive. We've thematic analysis. Should we should we talk about the scores on the doors? We'll take a break. We'll go to the scores on the doors, and we will learn what film we'll be watching for episode five. Very exciting. Welcome back to uh, Weekend at Crombies, episode four, Runaway Train, as we've discussed at length, may I add, uh, again, once more, despite protestations before we started the recording that we would cut the plot synopsis down to uh, less than an hour. We I, I don't think we had much confidence we'd do that this time. <laughs> no, <laughs> there was, there was very little discussion about how we'd cut it down. <laughs> yeah, we just accept it now, don't we? And we, we assume our listener accepts it as well. We are um, we are long form podcasting, and I think you, you you buckle up for that when you when you when you log on to Weekend at Crombies, as I imagine not many people have. Um, so uh, we move on to the 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 scores, the disembodied Crombie heads. Um, what are we going to give Runaway Train? So I chose the film, so I give the first score on the door. So. Runaway Train. One out of it five is, floating Crombie heads. We should one out of five. Yeah, five half being marks, half marks. Not allowed. Not allowed. F- five disembodied Crombie heads. Obviously, being the the pinnacle of of cinematic viewing. One being um, Phantom Paradise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's still sore, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still can't quite understand that score. But there we go. Um, so, uh, uh, Runaway Train. It, for me, it's a superior action film. We've discussed the themes. I think that it it certainly sticks in the mind and it sticks in the heart as well. It's a quintessential action film first and foremost, but it is elevated to the upper echelons of cinematic experience through the fantastic um, characterization and acting of John Voight and Eric Roberts as well. The brilliant stunt work and action scenes and the way that the themes of the film all intertwine. As a consequence of that, I will be giving Runaway Tra- Train five Disembodied Crombie out is, of five. Is that our first five? It is our first five. Our first five. Well, that's a lot to live up to. Okay. Is it my turn now? Yeah. It is indeed, Hugh. Okay. Will you please tell me what the, your score for Runaway Train is? Okay. Again, I, I can give it a spoiler. It's not one. We can, we, we can avoid that controversy. <laughs> it's going to give it one star. You know what? I don't know. That would be the end of Weekend at Crombies, I think. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It might be for the drama, but no, no. It's it's um, it's a very good action movie. Um. And if it were just a very good action movie, um, I might be tempted to score it middle of the road because yeah. it, it it goes through the beats. Again, it has some flaws, maybe of its time, maybe of its making. It's it's not a perfect action movie, but I think what elevates it is very much the, again the, the the characters and the themes, and it really does give you something to think about. Much more again in the third act of an action movie, I wouldn't have expected almost a philosophical dialogue. And yeah. and to have an ending 
that you probably would not have expected, but it just leaves you leaves you yeah almost elevated itself. It's like wow, that's yeah. that's exactly how it should have ended. I never would have seen that coming. Um, it's a very well put together conclusion, almost, and um, I think it does have its flaws. Again, it's it's mashing up a prison escape and a and a sort of a disaster movie. I don't think it's a brilliant example of either, but it's because it's mashed them up together. But I think at its heart, both the disaster and the prison break is essentially just the the excuse that gets you into Manny. Yeah. Again, Buck is almost again the, the the secondary character that supports you understanding and, and getting around Manny. The warden is the same. People interact around him. Yeah. So without further ado, I think it is worth four floating crombie heads. I'm pleased with that. <laughs> I, 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 I agree with a lot of what you've said there. I, you, you said um, one thing you said, it's not the perfect action film. Um, I think it is the perfect action film. Um, it's so my... Having said you agree with me, you've just picked on the one thing you disagree with. Well, I agree with most of what <laughs> oh, you okay. said. This is the one thing you don't agree okay. I, I don't think it's flawless, yeah. certainly, but that doesn't mean that I shouldn't give it five disembodied crombie Absolutely heads. Absolutely not. I, I think that the flaws in it are minor, forgivable, and totally outweighed by the sheer force of will that is Runaway Train. It's my favourite action film, actually. I think I can't think of a better action film that I've ever seen, and you know that is high praise. Have um, you seen American Ninja Two? Uh, I've seen American Ninja Four. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, by that point, it had gone commercial; it lost its edge. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, but high praise for the film. That's a nine out of ten overall. Then that I is think. our current leader, I think, in the floating crombie heads. Well, well then, good pick. Thank you very much indeed. Now, I am extravagantly excited. I've broken <laughs> into a sweat, um, and uh, at the announcement of Weekend at Crombies Five, what film are we going to be deep diving, shining a light upon in May? Hugh, please reveal. Okay. Uh, again, I thought long and hard about this, and essentially. The choice I went to was the film that's been playing around in my head. I've drawn up a list of ones I want to see, and one of yeah. them just got stuck in a reel, and I got thinking about it more and more. So, well, good, uh, good. That's as good a reason as any. Indeed. So the the film we will be looking at next month will be Too Late the Hero. <laughs> what is that? You've never heard of it? Good. That's I've a good start. I've never heard of it. Too Late the Hero. It's a 1970 Robert Aldrich movie um, set in World War Two. Starring Michael Caine and uh, Cliff Robertson. Okay. Too uh, late. Too late. The hero. Right. I can okay. hear you typing me furiously. You probably won't find it on Netflix. I'm gonna have to lend you the DVD of it. Um, but that's the movie I've picked. We will take a look at it next month. Fantastic. Well, I look forward to that, Hugh. Thank you very much indeed for your time and your uh, very insightful assessment of Runaway Train. Thank you, James, for selecting Runaway Train. I'm glad I saw it. And we'll we'll regale you with tales of Too Late the Hero in May. Until then, evening all. Enjoy your weekend at Crombies. Weekend at Crombies. That was quite a professional end. <laughs>